Good morning. My name is Andrew. If I haven't had a chance to meet you and uh, have the opportunity to open God's Word with you this morning, if you paid attention to the silent meditation, so a quote from Romans uh, talking about the Old Testament. You know, we're, we're in the 1 Samuel reading a long passage of Scripture this morning. It's always hard to know how to handle these big narratives when you're going through a couple of chapters. I actually am going to refer to chapter 11 as well today. Uh, we didn't read it. But uh, Paul says, you know, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. He's talking about the Old Testament Scriptures, that through endurance and through the encouragement of these Scriptures, we might have hope. Uh, Sometimes we think about something that happened 3,000 years ago, as in the case with some of these events in 1 Samuel, and we think, how can... How can that really impact us? What, what practical things could there be about a guy out looking for donkeys, uh, getting lost, you know, finding a seer? Like, these things are just so culturally distant from where we are, and yet uh, God tells us these are given to us for our encouragement, for our endurance. You know, part of it is things don't change. Uh, as we know, even throughout the Scriptures, uh, that there are always times of weeping, times of joy. Uh, there are patterns. There are patterns to our sin. There are patterns to God's faithfulness. Uh, all of these we, we see continually coming up again. We've been mentioning as we come to these uh, portions of Scripture here in First Samuel that as much as we read them, they read us, and we see ourselves in this story. This morning, in particular, one of the themes that we are going to encounter is God's faithfulness. Two themes I'll highlight for you. God's faithfulness in the face of His people's rejection. If you remember, uh, it's really important to have this contextually in mind. Uh, In 1 Samuel chapter 8, the people were calling for a king. Even though Yahweh has been and always is their king, He even mentions, I've taken you up out of the land of Egypt. I've been with you all of these days, all of these years. They wanted a visible king who they could see, somebody who could lead them into battle, sort of like a talisman before them. And we talked about last week how uh, that was exactly what God said. They're rejecting me from being their king. But God is faithful, uh, and and God even hears their cry in the midst of this. We saw that in chapter 9, verse 16, their cry of distress has come up before me. Uh, Again, similar to the Israelites in Egypt who were worshiping other gods. We know that they were worshiping other gods in Egypt. They cried out to the Lord. The Lord heard them. I love how uh, Dale Ralph Davis, one of the commentators, says, Israel's rejection does not paralyze Yahweh's care for them. Although Yahweh sees Israel's idolatry in her cry for a king, he also hears her distress in her cry for relief. Israel's stupidity cannot wither Yahweh's compassion. And, And that's good news. I mean, that is the endurance and the encouragement that we need because like Israel, we in in subtle ways and in overt ways reject God as our king over and over in our life. 
But God still perseveres with us. God still uh, carries on after us. And he does it through his providence. And this is the second thing that this section, I think, really highlights. Because there are are these long sections that, that just seem sort of random, but you realize that God is working throughout every single thing that happens in the background. Uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit more in just a second. But wanted to give you just a couple of the, uh, the catechism's answers with regards to what providence is so that we can set it in our minds. We have a, a couple of the Reformation catechisms that we really appreciate. One is Westminster. Guys got together, 1643, uh, asked the question, what are God's works of providence? Some of you could say this with me. Uh, God's works of providence are His most holy, wise, and powerful preservings governing all His creatures and all their actions. I, I love how that just captures this sense of God's care for His world and God's care for uh, how things get, get played out in our lives. Heidelberg is a little bit different. Uh, here, um, uh, Olivianus and, and Ursinus put it this way, what do you understand by the providence of God? The almighty and ever-present power of God by which he upholds as with his very hand heaven and earth and all his creatures and so or in such way rules them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and lean years, food and drink, health and sickness, prosperity and poverty, yea, all things in fact come to us not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. You know, there's just a real sense as we read the scriptures that that God is, is, is not rejecting his people, but he's continuing to strive for them, with them, to care for them, even when they have demonstrated a rejection of him. So how do we see that in this passage? So those ideas, you know, God's perseverance with a rebellious people, God's providence to care for them. How do we see them worked out? Well, I want to walk through the stories with you and just make four observations. Uh, Number one, you know, the way that this passage starts out, it's just telling a story. Now, there was a man of Benjamin. Uh, That's actually a repeat. We saw that back in chapter 1. Probably a signal here uh, linguistically or, or just in terms of the genre that we're shifting from the man of Benjamin who birthed uh, Samuel that we talked about in the first seven to eight chapters of the book. Now we're going to focus on somebody else. There was another man of Benjamin, uh, and he is this man, Saul, whose name incidentally means asked for. Uh, So, Saul is the asked for one. He's the answer to the people's uh, cry for a king. He's the one that God is going to allow to come to the throne. But it doesn't start that way. It just starts with uh, an ordinary day out on the farm. Uh, Saul is uh, a handsome man. We're told some details about him. We know he's pretty tall. That's going to come back later in the story again. 
But today, he just needs to find the donkeys. Uh, the donkeys have gone missing. Uh, we've got to go find these things. And so he and his servant begin the search, wandering all over the, the various regions. Eventually, it seems like getting lost themselves. Uh, they're, they're quite a ways away from home. They enter into this land of Zuf, which incidentally, uh, Zuf is uh, Samuel's great, 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 I don't know, great-grandfather. Uh, he was uh, mentioned in chapter 1. So they find themselves ways away from home in this foreign land. They don't know exactly what to do. So the suggestion is, let's, let's go find the seer. Well, they're, they're in Samuel's sort of home country, and so they go and they, they seek out the seer. As they do this, they, they meet women coming from the well, which also, incidentally, think about those of you who know the Old Testament, how many significant things happen with women at wells. Uh, there's a lot of them. And so we realize that, that this is a story that is moving to significance, even though uh, it just seems sort of random, sort of ordinary, all of that. There is a sense of connection here with our days, aren't they? Uh, we get up, we make our coffee, we go eat our breakfast, go through our days, we get in our cars, we take our commute, we get the kids out, we wipe their faces, we get them dressed. We, we're doing all of these just ordinary things over the course of the day. Something, sometimes things go well. Sometimes, like with uh, Saul here and Kish and the donkeys, uh, things go awry and we find ourselves diverted from what we had planned to do and wandering, it seems, in a country that's unfamiliar to us and wondering where this is all headed. I think part of what uh, the scriptures are inviting us to this morning is connecting the ordinariness of what we experience day to day with the, the providence of God, this fatherly care that He is exercising over all His creatures and all their actions. Because what we realize, especially when we come to verses 15 to 17 of chapter 9, is that it's not just random. Uh, listen, you know, to what God says to Samuel. Now, the day before Saul came to this land of Zuf and sought out Samuel, the Lord had revealed to Samuel, tomorrow about this time, I will send to you. See, God, God wasn't taken by surprise uh, by this wandering. God wasn't taken surprise by this seeming randomness, uh, this random, seemingly random occurrence happening in uh, Saul's life. He was actually orchestrating this, and he was sending Saul to Samuel. Uh, Tomorrow about this time, I will send to you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines, for I have seen my people because their cry has come to me. Uh, when Samuel saw, saw Saul, the Lord said to him, here is the man of whom I spoke to you. He it is who shall restrain my people." 
What seemed random was actually under God's guidance. God knew that his people had cried out. Uh, He knows that they're rejecting him, and yet he's willing to engage them. He's willing to engage them at their own level, and, and he's willing to give them what they asked for, quite literally, in the person of Saul. So, this colors, it's interesting in this text when it says the Lord reveals to Samuel, verse, what is that, 15 or 16, uh, the, the Hebrew is literally God uncovered his ear. Uh, I, I love that, I love that image, you know, God uncovered his ear and allowed him to, to see, to hear, to understand what was going on. And that's part of what this story does for us. It, it uncovers our ear as to the events of our life. They're not random. Uh, they're, they're very purposeful. All of the interactions that you have, the experiences that you go through, whether it seems good or whether it seems bad, uh, God's hand is in that. He's directing it. He hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't, uh, he hasn't like gone to sleep and, and just sort of neglected uh, whatever is going on in your life. It's important for us to see this, to know this, to have confidence. You know, in Heidelberg, they ask the question, how does the knowledge of God's uh, providence help us? And they answer it with these things. We can be patient when things go against us, and we can be thankful when things go well. So whether adversity or prosperity, we are attuned and we learn to recognize that God is at work in our life. The other thing is, it just gives us confidence to respond to what is going on before us. That we, we can know that this is supposed to happen when you're having that interaction with your neighbor. God knows that. It's not random, and so you can enter into that conversation with confidence. When you're going through that incident at work that just seems so frustrating, uh, and, and you see like this is an extreme test of your sanctification, uh, you can have confidence that, that God is at work in this for your good for His glory. These things are are part of how He is growing us, part of how He is orchestrating the world, part of how He is carrying forth His will, how He is carrying forth His plan. God knows every leaf, every blade, uh, every detail, the hairs on our head, and and there uh, there is a confidence to be gained from recognizing His providence. The third thing that I want to uh, highlight for you here is that God also equips the, all of us to, to engage in whatever He's calling us to. So, there, there's some things here. You know, God is obviously working. The people have asked for a king, and God is going to give him a king. Although, maybe you picked up on the fact that that either Samuel or God never really calls Saul a king. Did you notice that uh, in, in verses 15 and 16 there uh, where he says, 
You shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. He shall save my people uh, from the hand of the Philistines. Later on in chapter 10, the people say, long live the king. Uh, but uh, Samuel actually never calls him the king. And actually that word prince uh, may be better translated just leader. It doesn't necessarily have royalty tied to it. Uh, a leader among my people. So God is going to give the people what they long for, but he also wants to give it to them in the way that they, they really need. And there are several things in here that just speak to this equipping uh, that God gives to Saul and God, by extension, then gives to the people of Israel. Uh, so See if you can follow, uh, see if I can explain this well. You will follow me if I explain it well. Uh, so, there, like I said, several things. The first is he, he gives them a meal. Uh, you see that one of the very first things that Samuel does is he says, let's, let's eat together. Now, part of this was just very practical. It was the time of day, practical for uh, Saul because they didn't have anything with them. It seemed that they had eaten through all their supplies. But then Samuel brings Saul up, and he gives to him this portion that had been set aside. It was the leg portion. Now, this was the portion that was set aside for the priests. Uh, Samuel had this portion for himself, and he shares it with Saul, which I think is significant. Uh, it, it's almost like Saul, Samuel is bringing Saul into his role with regards to the people. So you are to be a leader for God's people, but you're to be a leader in God's way, a leader that pays attention to the law. Later on in chapter 10, Samuel writes down everything for Saul with regards to the kingship and how it's supposed to be. This probably refers back to Deuteronomy 17 that we saw last week where the king was to keep the law next to him, in front of him, and govern in that way. Govern with regards to, to the priestly code, govern in regards to uh, really following after God. And then Saul, or Samuel, I keep going, it's so tough to keep those together. Uh, Samuel says, I, I am going to demonstrate to you in significant ways that God is at work in this. First of all, he anoints him. Up until this time, the only people that had ever been anointed were, anybody know? Priests, yeah, they, they were the only ones that had ever been anointed in the history of Israel up until this time. So Saul, Samuel anoints Saul. Now later on, more kings will be anointed. Samuel will anoint David as well. But understand that this is a, a transition period here. So there's lots of connections between the priesthood, the kingship, uh, going on, God, God is equipping Saul for his task and also for the kind of person that he wants him to be. And then he says, I'm going to give you these three signs. You're going to 
you know, the person at Rachel's tomb. You're going to meet these three guys. It sounds like a math problem there for a little while. You're going to meet three guys with goats and loaves. And how many loaves will they give you? Well, they'll give you two out of the three. uh, But a very specific sign. Uh, And then he is going to meet the prophets. You're going to prophesy with them. The Spirit of God is going to come on you. And all of these things happen. Uh, All of this happens to to Saul, and and he, he recognizes, or at least he should recognize, that God is with him. And then later on, finally, I'm just speaking to all of the equipment, you know, from this meal uh, from the anointing, from the signs, the casting of lots, the lots fall to Benjamin and then to Saul. Everything is saying, you are the one that I have chosen. I am with you. I am marking you. I am promising to be with you. I am pouring out my spirit on you. You are the one that I have chosen and that I have equipped. Now, part of what we recognize here is that that Saul should have seen this. And and what we're going to see as the story plays out, and and incidentally, not just in 9 and 10, but also throughout 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, when Saul gets the kingdom taken from him, Saul fails to recognize what it is that God is doing. Saul fails to rest on the promises that God is making to him. Saul fails to operate in the power of the Holy Spirit. But it's all there. And and, and basically, God is saying, be who I have called you to be, for I am giving you what you need in order to be who I called you to be. And this is something that I think is really important for us to hear because it's the same. You know, as we seek to follow the Lord, that's the message. Be who I have called you to be. Be who I have made you to be. Be who I have redeemed you to be. Be who I have given my life so that you can be. Be that person, and and I want you to know that I am with you so much that I am going to give you visible signs. I am going to give you the seal of my presence with you. I'm, of course, referring to the table that we have right here. I'm referring to our, our baptisms, you know, these sacraments which are visible signs and seals of God's cleansing in our work, in our life, of, of God's continuing presence, of His sustenance. He gives us a meal. Uh, It's all very similar as we go through and we recognize that God works in these ways. He has a plan. He calls a people. He equips that people to be the people that he's called them to be in their place. I mean, we're here a week after Pentecost. Uh, You know, we think about uh, the spirits rushing on the church. And we see Saul, you know, when you come to this point, the Spirit of God is going to rush on you. The Old Testament, this was much more episodic. Uh, we, we see the Spirit of God rushing on Samson, for instance. We see the Spirit of God 
God rushing on Saul. New Testament-wise, we recognize that if you are in Christ, if you've surrendered your life to Him, you have the Spirit of God. Like that is, is not something that you have to pray for. Uh, it, it's something that you have. Now, I think God helps us different times and different places to be aware of it, and you can certainly pray for that. You know, God, as I go today, help me to be aware of your Spirit's presence. Help me to um, help me to pay attention to, be sensitive to the presence of your Spirit. But you, you have the Spirit's presence in your life. And, and, and part of as we read the story, we recognize that Saul had everything that he needed to be the man, to be the one who God called him to be. And we see that's the same for us. You know, God has called us to, to be His people in His world, uh, to, to follow His ways, you know, to, to, be, to be emissaries for Him. And He's equipped us with everything necessary for that task. His Word, His Spirit, His presence, the signs, the seals, with friends, with, with all of these things. God has given that to us. And so he invites our response. This is one of the things that we see here with Saul. Um, I, I don't know what you think about Saul. Like, we, you're not supposed to know everything about Saul in, in these stories. You know, kind of a, a humble guy, maybe. Um, you know, when, when Samuel identifies him, he says, Israel is longing uh, for a king. And, and you are everything that Israel is longing for. Samuel says, or Saul says, what, me, a, a Benjaminite? You know, we are the least of the tribes of Israel. Paul, Paul will say something similar. Uh, he talks about the tribe of Benjamin. Um, he, you know, and Saul doesn't, he's, he's reticent. He doesn't, he's hiding among the baggage even when the lot falls to him. So it, it seems that Saul is, is a very humble person, but there is also a sense which we're beginning to see some patterns here in Saul's life that will also emerge as it goes forward, where the humility maybe is actually not humility, but it's, it's, a, it's a way of pulling back and not answering the call of God. You know, Saul gets presented here in a number of ways as being a very reticent person. I mean, even in, in looking for the donkeys, he's ready to quit and give back. It's his servant that says, we need to push and go forward. You know, he suggests the, the seer, and the, Saul says, well, we don't have any money. Uh, and uh, the, the servant is the one who says, no, I, I've got a half shekel here. We can go see the servant. So if it wasn't for the servant, Saul wouldn't even have kept going. And, and then when, when Saul experiences all these signs, like what would you be thinking? Like if, if you had met somebody and said, these three very specific things are going to happen, and, and then those three very specific things happen. I mean, wouldn't you have a, just a great sense of confidence? And, and one of the things that is interesting in this text, in verse 10, or in chapter 10, verse 7, uh, Saul gives, or Samuel, 
man, this is rough. Uh, Samuel gives him a very specific, uh, a very specific command. He says, "Now, when these signs meet you, do what your hand finds to do, for God is with you." Now, what what was that? Well, number of times throughout this, we're we're told that Saul went up to Gibeah. And and Gibeah was a a town in Benjamin, but Gibeah was a town that also had a Philistine garrison in it. And commentators believe, and I follow the logic here, that that God was, was commanding Saul at this point to attack the Philistine garrison. And to drive the Philistines out. This was something that the Israelites throughout their history failed to do. They failed to deal with the Canaanites. And so when, we're, when we see this here, both in chapter 10 and also in chapter 11, Saul, though he is equipped and very possibly equipped for battle. The, the verb is used, the spirit rushing on Saul. It's the exact same description of the spirit rushing on Samson. In each case, he's not talking about regeneration when he says that he's a new man. He's not talking about it in a spiritual sense. The rushing of the spirit indicates his equipping for the tasks of leadership, particularly a military task. So, so that's the way that this is used usually. And so what, what God is saying to Saul is, I am going to equip you, and then when you get there, do what your hand finds to do. And right there is that Philistine garrison, and, and I want them wiped out. Now in chapter 11, you're going to see that Saul does finally step forward and help the men of Jabesh Gilead. But it's believed that had Saul done what, uh, what he was supposed to do at that time, followed Samuel's instruction, they would have never had that problem of chapter 11. So it's Saul's reticence that, that makes the situation even worse in chapter 11. And, and one of the things that we see here is that Saul is called, but Saul continues to shrink. He continues to shrink back. He doesn't do what God has equipped him. And when the lot falls to him, he's unwilling to step forth and, and to be the one, the leader that God calls him to. It does speak to us uh, of what's at our hands. I've kind of alluded to that. You know, the, the, the events of our life, they're not random. And one of the things that we know when we see all of the equipment, when we realize the, the spirit, the word, the fellowship of, of brothers and sisters, when we realize all of those things, living in a surrendered state to Christ, he's saying, do what your hand finds to do. You know, and, and maybe make a list of that. You know, think you know, just real practically, you know, what, what is at your hand? What has God place there for you? Who? You know, in terms of your neighbors, I think about those boxes and just the opportunities that we have in, in regards to this arts and rec camp and all of those things. But it's your work. Uh, who is at your hand that God would, has he equipped you to engage in a significant way? These are questions that come up to us. But And here's the last place I want to stop this morning. 
We don't do it in order to earn. Notice, uh, order is always important. Uh, God calls Sam, Saul, uh, God calls Saul, and he equips him. But Saul hasn't done anything to earn this. And this is what we know throughout the Scriptures. You know, it's Ephesians, uh, before the foundations of the world, uh, we are seen, we are known, we are loved, we are called, before we've ever done anything to merit it. Why, why, why does it happen that way, or how can it happen that way? Think about the anti-Saul. The anti-Saul, in many respects, is David. Uh, we're going to see David embrace the kingship. We're going to see David step forward and battle Goliath when Saul, who should have been Israel's champion, you kind of see this arc, this trajectory going. Saul is unwilling to do it. David is the anti-Saul, but even more so is great David's greater son, the Lord Jesus. You know, I was thinking about John 18, uh, when, when Jesus is before Pilate, and he says, are you the king of the Jews? And, and what does Jesus say to him? He said, yes, you have said it. I am the king of the Jews, but my kingdom is not of this world. You know, my, my kingdom is, is the Lord's kingdom that it encompasses all of creation. I, I am <coughs> the king. And in fact, you know, when Judas came with the soldiers in, in the beginning of chapter 18, Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and he said to him, who is it that you seek? They answered, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he. You know, Jesus steps forward. He doesn't shrink back. Knowing all that would happen to him, knowing that the cross was in front of him, knowing that on that cross he would have to bear the totality of the wrath of God, the just wrath of God against all of the sins of the world, Jesus did not shrink back. He did not hide among the baggage, but he stepped forward and he said, I am he. I am He. And because He has done that, we can be called into His service, and we can have the confidence, and we can have the assurance uh, to step forward ourselves, not in our own strength, but with the presence that His Spirit affords in us. So we read these stories, and like Paul, we say, there's some strange things here. Uh, there are some things that, that seem sort of random that are very culturally distant, but these are for our encouragement and for our endurance that we might recognize that in the same way that God calls Saul and invites him to step into the yoke with him, uh, God calls us and, and he invites us to step into the yoke with him and to be the people that he has called us to be in his world. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for uh, this word. We thank you for its promise. We thank you for uh, its invitation and call. We, we recognize that we can't do it on our own. And so, Holy Spirit, I would pray for each person here uh, that you would direct their hearts and their thoughts and the directions 
uh, that, that they need to be directed, that they would, would rise, that faith would rise in our hearts, faith in, in your providential fatherly care for us, that there would be a great confidence both in little things and big things. And Lord, we, we do pray for those who are struggling or maybe just even ambivalent to being in the yoke with you. Uh, I pray that, that they would see that there is a beauty here, uh, that there is a grace here, that you see the hearts of a people who have even rejected you, and you persevere with them, and you bring grace into their lives in very practical ways. Lord, we offer this all to you, our firm foundation. In Jesus' name, amen.